our pastor is not with us. He is not feeling well, so I would say just keep him in prayer. Um, we also have uh, Pastor Chad, who's on vacation in California, enjoying that weather out there. Of course, we've had some pretty beautiful weather, too, so we can't be too too envious of that. But And then also uh, Pastor Foster is, is out of town as well, so keep them in prayer as they travel. Keep the families of Refuge Church as they travel for family and for the holidays, we just want them to return safe. I'm glad that they have the opportunity to go and to have that time of refreshing and spending with family. So, and after COVID, I mean, I think we all are grateful the fact that we can do things like that. So this morning, I, I had God kind of put this message on me a few months ago. And so I wanted to bring it to you this morning. And I'm going to take our opening verse from John chapter 4 verse 5 through 6 and it says then cometh he to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph now Jacob's well was there and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour many things in our life we we're left to wonder I mean, have you ever wondered if at times along this life I'm going to be able to keep going? Is, there where, is this where I'm going to get off the train, so to speak, of life? Is this where I am going to retire? Do I retire this year? Do I, do I say, okay, I'm done. I'm done working. I'm going to go ahead and just give in my notice and, and quit. We wonder these things. Can I make it to the finish line race, the finish line of the race I am running to make heaven my home? Will I be able to handle what is coming in this next year? Have you ever wondered if maybe during before COVID, have you ever thought, what if that was the case? Could have I made it? We did. Praise God. But we wonder if the money that I have in the bank is going to carry me through to that next payday. As people, we are prone to many things of this life. Some of those things are doubt, their fear, their anxiety, and some of them are excitement, their happiness, and even anger. We often have the greatest fears over things that, on one hand, we can't do anything about. And on the, uh, on the second hand, there are, there are fears over resources that we can't produce. There are a few resources that we as people can go without in life, though. And then there are a few resources that we cannot go without. By a show of hands, how many of you here like to sleep about eight to nine hours a night? I'm in that category. Yes. How many of you like to sleep around six to seven hours of sleep? We got a few. What about, is there anyone here that likes to sleep about four to five hours of sleep a night? We got one, two. Those are our productive people. Yeah, they, they, they sleep less so they can achieve more, right? The average adult, though, can go without sleep three to four nights before hallucinations begin to occur in their life. So you need sleep. You, you might be able to sleep four to five hours a night, but you are not going to be able to go past four to five days before you start having some weird things happen. So if you are like me, though, you really do enjoy sleep. In fact, I find myself in the mornings trying to turn the alarm clock off by throwing it across the room. 
That's because I like sleep. But what about food? Who, who, who likes food here? Who enjoys food? Okay. I'm not missing any meals. I can tell you that. <laughs> but every time that pastor gets up and announces a fast, the first thing that happens, it's like, I could have had a full breakfast. Like, I mean, I could have ate tons of food at a buffet. And then as, as soon as he announces a fast, I'm hungry. I don't get it. It's just like my body says, no, you ain't doing it. Come on, stop. But that's how we get with food. And it's amazing the, what the average person can go without and stay alive. Every time that we do announce these fasts, that's what happens to me. I automatically get a little tense and I get a little hungry. But what about coffee? Do any of us enjoy coffee? There's a few of us. How do you feel when you go without coffee? Do you get headaches? Do you get some things happen? But it's amazing, really, what the average person can do. The average person can go 8 to 20 days, 21 days, without food and even up to two months on just water. Now, I'm not going to go on any fast like that anytime soon, personally. But the one thing that we need to survive is water. Maybe one of the most important things, necessities, we can have physically, aside of air. An average person can survive three days without water. Therefore, and to inherit a well or to gain access to something like a well, in the historic period of Jacob's day, it was about survival. A well was dug into the earth until the digger found water buried deep into the surface. Current wells nowadays in our current society can be dug at ranges from 100 to 800 and even up to 1,000 feet. There are four types of wells. A dug well, a bored well, a driven point well, and a drilled well. And out of these four types of wells, the well that Jesus found himself at was in all intents and purposes a dug well. You see, a well dug into the ground 100 feet in the desert would have been an intense work. Digging a well would have had a lot of work associated with it. It would have cost resources, time, and energy. And the well that is referenced in this story was a well that Jacob gifted to his son, Joseph. So much history surrounded this well. Not just a source of water for the local town, but it was a place that pointed to something more. A symbolic piece of history near the edge of Samaria. To gain context into our message today, we need a brief underlay of what that time that was taking place. Samaria and Israel were once brothers and sisters of the same mosaic background. Until the split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You see, Samaria was the capital of Israel. And during the war, the city had fallen to the Assyrians. It was during this time that Samaria, or the Samaritans, began to intermarry amongst those that had taken over their lands. And as a result of their choices, they came to a place where their religion was only based on the law of God and rejected all other books from the Bible. All the while, the southern kingdom, which was named Judah, had many of their own issues. This nation, Judah, was the one that it was prophesied Jesus would come from that tribe. 
a lot of different reasons for the occupants to not see eye to eye. Samaria and the Jews. Samaria was the place of dividing between the Jews and the Samaritans. This well was smack dab in the middle of conflict between those that had stayed true and pure to the promise and those that had walked away from the promises of God. This well for Jacob reminded him of his own past. This well served as a gift to his son to remember his own personal journey. For Joseph, it served to remind him that it was a well that one day his life had been changed. You see, Joseph had been sold into slavery at a well. Jacob had given Joseph a reminder that a well can sometimes be a place in your life that change occurs. You see, it is the wells in our life that change is truly possible. And it is where Jesus will meet us at those wells. For Joseph, it served as a reminder. So much history at this well in Samaria. And here was Jesus. John chapter 4 verse 7 through 9 says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me? Which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. You see, it's an interesting point that the Samaritan woman asked Jesus these questions. Can you imagine Jesus meeting you at a well? In the middle of the day, at a time when no one else would come to a well. And yet, here is this stranger who doesn't have a bucket. He is asking for water out of your bucket. He is from a long line of people you mistrust and you feel like you do not have anything in common with. First, why are you a man who is a Jew asking me for a drink? Second, also, why are you here in this place of all places at this time of day? Jews and Samaritans had deep mistrust and hate in their hearts for one another. A caste system that was parted due to one side believing solely on the word of God and steeped in tradition. Another side who had intermarried and found the laws of Moses to be all that is needed to live for God. If you have ever dealt with any form of legalism in your life then you might understand this better than me. But I think that they took legalism to a whole nother degree. It was only the law and ceremony. None of the Psalms, none of the poetry, none of the prophecy. I look at how Jews and Samaritans treated each other. And I feel like, you know, for us, there's this type of misgivings as we as Christians can have. For others outside of our denominations. Now, I'm not going off the deep end. I'm not going away from truth. But we should be more willing to look at those precious, those of precious like faith and offer mercy in the face of division. I do not agree with other denominations of faith, declarations of their faith, especially those that are preaching things that are contrary to the word of God. But I need to be aware that they are still being called by God. He is the same God that called me that is calling them. I do not have a monopoly on who gets into heaven or who gets saved. Or it is God alone who makes that decision. 
You know, if a Muslim had a revelation that Jesus is the one and true God, then I should be quick to offer praise for that revelation. If a Buddhist one day reads a Bible or goes through a Bible study and their life is transformed, then I should see the miracle of God in that situation. This is the same for every denomination and religion in our world. There is only one faith and one God. So I better remember that when I deal with anyone who might have a different opinion or see it differently than me, I need to look across from the table from me, the cubicle from me, the counter from me, and realize that the person who stands across from me, no matter how misguided or how far away from God they have come, they are still worth saving. You see, after all, it was Jesus who went to a well in Samaria where he would meet this one Samaritan woman. In John 14, it says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me a drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. You see, Jesus was bold in what he had told her in this situation. If you would have known who I was, you would have asked for living water. You would have been able to drink from that wellspring today. You see, we know who Jesus is. We, we have a revelation of who Jesus is. We have an understanding of who he is in our life. But you would have been able to drink from that wellspring is what he tells her. So this encounter isn't surprising for us. We get it. He is God manifested in the flesh. But she has no idea who he is. Yet with boldness, Jesus gives her a clue that what is happening is not ordinary. Imagine if we began to understand the power that you and I have living in us. If today you have been filled with the Holy Ghost, then you have in you a power that can change things in people's lives. Imagine if on Monday you go to work or you go to a restaurant or even today you go out to eat. And you ask someone about their life. They might look at you in a strange way and not really know what, how to answer your question. Many people out there in our world are not asked that question very often. A lot like this woman at the well, yet Jesus came to her at the well and asked her for a drink. We have this living in us, the same living water, the same life-saving power. Imagine being asked this question, just a simple question really. Who are you and what makes you who you are? Life-changing in so many ways for an individual who has been ignored and forgotten about. Tired of working behind a mask in a restaurant. People in our world going through the motions at the times wondering if they're going to make it. There is hope in here where we are right now. This morning, there is hope. But there is no hope outside in the world except for the same hope we have here, and that is Jesus. You have that. You have that hope, and they need that hope. Even when you think that you have lost your way, it is still more than they have. 
Imagine a coworker who, ha- who hasn't talked to anyone for almost an entire year about the loneliness of working from home and the depression of not spending time with family during the holidays. A lot of us spent time with family and friends, but there are still people who are taking COVID and the threat of COVID extremely serious. They did not get to spend time with family, and they are isolated and alone. Nothing good comes from isolation and loneliness. But we have the answer. We have the hope. We have in us the power to claim victory in any situation. You have the power to change someone's future. John 4, 11 through 19 continues our story, the account. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From when then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of the water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall have never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into the everlasting life. You see the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water. Give me this water, sir, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Oh, that's a powerful thing right there. If you consider this, imagine that. Someone who you told your testimony to asking for you to give them the hope that they're desiring. See, you have that water living within you. And Jesus said unto her, go, call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. It was right. Here, when she began to believe in Jesus, to say something so profound and so revealing to her in this moment, it was life-changing and it was future-altering. Jesus had come to the well where she had for so long to draw water. She wasn't at the well at this time of day because she wanted to be. It was this time of day because it was the time of day that she could avoid all the judgment, all the judgmental eyes, all the the little whispers that she could hear. This woman had a past of failure and defeat. Every time that she came to the well, every day that she went out to fetch water, it was a remembrance of her past. You might be here this morning and thinking that all that are things that have discounted you and discredited you from God. This story of the woman At the well is a reminder that we have a Savior that does not know what he does know what you have done. He knows where you have been. And even though it seems like all hope has been lost, he meets you at the well of your life. If all you have ever have is that one place, that one thing you can do to forget the pain of this life. That is where our loving Savior can meet you. 
This moment at the well of Jacob was not a chance encounter for her. It was a merciful God coming to her in need and finding her during her failures and setbacks and offering hope. You are not forgotten about. You have hope still. If you are listening online or you are here this morning, there is still hope for you. There is still a Savior who is willing to extend grace to you, who is willing to offer mercy to you in your situation. You feel discounted, discredited. You feel like they have forgotten about you, but it is God who remembers you. It is God who sees you at the well. You must take the opportunity and say, Lord, here I am. I'm at the well and I seek your face. You see, the road might seem impossible, but it is God who meets you at your well. It is he who is offering hope to you this morning. The water of baptisms are available to you if you have never been baptized in Jesus' name this morning. If you have in you something that you know is there and you say, well, I've never told anybody. I don't want to tell anybody because every time I think about it, it makes me feel guilty. It makes me have shame. But Jesus is at the well and he's saying, I'm going to offer you hope. I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent of that sin and to let it be washed away in the water of baptism. He's here for you. He knows the deepest levels of disappointment in your life. You know, he sees the tears you have shed in the absence of friends and family that you have held strong for. It shows greater strength to openly admit that you have failed than to keep it all bottled up inside and never let anyone see it. We have these barriers in our life that we do not let anyone in or around. We keep it all bottled up and hidden inside. It is a soft place in our lives that is off limits to those around us. They are formed over years of learned and taught behaviors from things like experience. The failures and disappointments that we have in our life are the greatest teachers if they're dealt with properly. But you see, the failures and disappointments that we have in our life are also can sometimes be the worst teachers in our life if handled improperly. They develop in us harmful behaviors and habits. Development of friendships and relationships are the greatest at risk for these type of improper dealings of failures and disappointments. And someone does something to us from this narrative that exists only in our minds that tells us they are bad. And that person who we are having a conversation with is really not our friend. And we project these type of feelings and these type of emotions on people that we don't even know, but they remind us of somebody we once knew. And as a result of this type of thinking, we sabotage the possibility of something that could end up good for us. And after realizing what Jesus had said, the woman at the well made one more statement. She said in John 4, 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She was saying something so profound in this statement. What she was saying was that all her life she had been taught that she didn't have access to the things like the prophets. Yet there she was during a time of the day a man came to her who knew more things than she could ever understand. There were things that weren't feasible in her mind or her imagination for someone to know. 
You see, because there wasn't things like Facebook and Twitter and, and YouTube and whatever other social media that exists in our society today. So the, the information that he had only came from a place of him intimately knowing who she was. But John doesn't tell us what she was feeling in this moment. But I can say for myself that when you get in the presence and power of God, there is a shift in the atmosphere. Perhaps you felt it this morning during worship. The shift in the atmosphere and then the presence and power of God, it was something that you could tangibly feel. I have been around this long enough to tell you that when God shows up, he wants to show out. We have a tendency in our flesh, though, to stop him before he does show up. We stifle the spirit through our questioning and our wondering at times. So she made her statement, but, but, but Jesus tells her this, John 4.21. And Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye No, not what? We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh to such to worship him. You see, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, And when he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? It is in everyone's hearts this type of questioning and wondering why Jesus did what he did. And why he went out of his way to speak to people like this woman at the well. There are times that we wonder what God is doing. We will question if that thing that God has asked us to do is really the thing that we should do. And in that questioning, we make the mistake of not trusting him. You see, Jesus' disciples did this all the time. That's why we knock them sometimes. And we kind of look at them and we think, man, why did they do that? Why did they think that way? But it's in their hearts wondering why Jesus would be speaking to a woman at a well let alone a Samaritan woman. We are just as guilty of doing this sometimes. I mean, we will question why God brought a person into our life. Why would I be burdened with this responsibility? Yet the whole time, Jesus is telling us that he is the one that is in control. It is his plans, not ours. But if we are obedient to his leading, key word there is being obedient, we find that there are wells that he has sent us individually to. The disciples gathered around Jesus and asked him to eat something, but Jesus told them that he had food that they were not aware of and that his food was to do what he was sent to do. And in John 4, 35 through 38, it says, Say not ye, therefore are are yet for months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look into the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, 
One soweth and another one reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Jesus told the disciples there is a principle of reaping and sowing. The disciples went about their lives with Jesus, and it is about me attitude. The principles that Jesus was displaying before their very eyes was that the plan for this world was much larger than what you know or you understand. Your circle of influence that you deem so important is really a part of a much larger plan. There are those that will reap and there are those that will sow. It is important that we do not get lost thinking that we are unimportant to what God wants to do. But it is equally important that we do not get the idea that we are irreplaceable either. But we must find comfort in knowing that you have a place and that God is going to use the broken things of your life to help heal someone else in their time of need. This woman's life was a complete mess. Jesus shows up on the scene and in one conversation that might have only really lasted two minutes changed her entire perception about who she was. Her response to that conversation should teach all of us here today a very valuable lesson. And that lesson is that when God shows up at your will, It is Jesus who meets you there. And in John 4, 28, the woman then left her water part and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? What is your response to Jesus when he takes your life and turns it around into something that you never thought was possible? Do you stop and think of telling anyone else? Has God ever provided for you when you thought it was impossible? Has God ever changed a diagnosis in your body? Has he ever healed a broken part of who you are? If God has ever done that for you, then why don't we give him some praise this morning? Why don't we say thank you, Jesus, for what you have done in my life? Because he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of all our worship and all the things that we can give to him. He is the God that met you at your need. He is the God that met you at the well. Praise be to Jesus. Praise be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must say is our response to the greatness and wonder of God's mercy to go tell everyone that I know. You see, we need to be out there telling everyone we know. We need to be out there telling our testimony about what God has done in our lives. Because look what happens in this story when she, this woman, we don't even know her name goes out and begins to tell her testimony. Look at what happens in this next verse. It says, Many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for saying of the woman, which testified, He told me all that I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying. For we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You see, when we go and we share our testimony, it starts a walk for somebody. It starts a seed. The seed is planted. But when they come into the house of God, after the seed has been planted, their life begins to change. The word of your testimony switches to the word of their testimony. It is a principle that Jesus has taught us in this scenario. One that we must keep in mind when we are out in our daily lives. Because it was not just at a well that Jesus met this woman at that day. You see, this well had so much rich history centered around it. And that is why the writer John emphasizes the fact that it was the well that Jacob gave to Joseph. Jacob, who wrestled with God until the morning break, demanding to be made different. And to see his life changed. An inner struggle met with God. A wrestling until daybreak for Jacob. And Joseph, who would have to go through some fiery trials in his life before he was ever made to be what God had intended him to become. And now the Samaritan woman, who isn't named, but is in all intents and purposes, pointing to each and every single one of us. She found purpose at the well. She found healing at the well. It was life-giving water that she found that day. And when she received this, she did all she could do to give it away. I'm closing. Musicians can come. When you come to the well in your life, where Jesus meets you, it alters your path. So drastically, so powerfully, if you can get past the things that hang you up and cause the doubt in your mind. Through that tough moment, it is where you will find your testimony. And although the woman at the well is a microsecond of time in the grand scheme, it is a powerful account. It points to the power of a true testimony. Some of our testimonies are formed and quickly shaped and others of our testimonies are formed over a life. And all of us have a testimony. I have heard people say that they're, they're not sure what their testimony is. Or if they even have one worth telling. It is the testimony of the life lived with God that is the most profound and powerful. I'm a first generation apostolic. I was raised in a home that taught the Book of Mormon and lost my faith in God along the way in the course of my life. When I stepped into Refuge Church, you taught me that God is a healer. When I stepped into Refuge Church, I began to learn from others' testimonies and teachings that God is faithful to us and our resources when we are willing to be faithful in ours. I am here to tell you today, whether you are listening online or you are here in this church this morning, God wants to meet you at your well. There are some of us here who have been, had our own well experience, and it is all about what we can talk about. 
Maybe you found that well to be so life-changing that you threw everything away so you could get closer to God. You might have been set on fire for Jesus and you have been running this way ever since. But I say keep running. Keep going. Don't quit. Don't quit telling your testimony. Share your testimony everywhere you go. Your testimony is a lifesaver. It is a life-saving device that you can throw into the water that people are drowning in currently. There are people out there in our world who desperately need your testimony. Don't discount it if you will stand with me. As I open these altars this morning, I want us to consider the testimony that God has given to us. Was there a day that Jesus showed up to your well or the place in your life that he gave you hope? Was there a place where Jesus gave you something that you can share with others? To those of us this morning that it has been a while since we told our testimony to anyone, I pray you are encouraged to share it once more with someone. That your testimony becomes a powerful tool that God can use to bring others to him. The fields of our city of liberty are ripe for the harvest. It has been sown in our city for quite some time. It is ripe for us to go and to begin to do the revival work that is to be done in this city. But it will require us to believe in our testimony, to believe in the word of God that it is more powerful than anything that we have. And to go out and to begin to declare that this is the life-saving device that they need in their life. And it is by Jesus alone that they can be saved. He is the hope. He is the way. If you desire to see this city changed or you are here and you need to meet Jesus at the well, these altars are open. Come, let's pray. Let's give God our word. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we thank you, Lord. Jesus, we pray to you. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.